come back handmaids. Why do I always think you're going to say purgers? Well, we will probably later this year when it comes back for a second season. I'm so excited. But you're not here for the purge yet, or are you? Um, or maybe this episode is the purge and we just don't know. Who knows? All things that you will ponder on the Pop Culture Theologians podcast. <laughs> Welcome back. We are so glad you're with us. Make sure you're following us on social media at Pop Theologians on Facebook and Twitter. We have missed you all. We are trying to increase the shade, so definitely follow us over there. Um, we've got a lot of fun stuff happening with our interactions from our previous season shows, um, as well as you know all the shady things that we get to comment on about what's going on in this world. We are still throwing shade at Game of Thrones, also just for the record. <laughs> have you recovered? No, and I never will. But moving on, Marcy. <laughs> I feel like we all, all of us like Game of Thrones podcasters need to do like a six month, like rougher, like six months from now, let's check in with each other and see if we still feel as strongly about where we were six months earlier. No, I, I agree with you. I, I'm, I'm David not, and Ben. yeah, I'm not going to heal from it. Um, I think, I still think this is the best thing that ever happened to George R. R. Martin because now I'm literally, I'm in my, um, I'm in my office at my house and like, I have like wall-to-wall bookshelves i know exactly where my game of thrones ones are and i just keep staring at the five of them and i'm like it should be seven bitch and i can't i don't don't let me die with the hbo version of this like please please if you die marcy i will find a way to commune with you in the afterlife Fuck yes, you, know you, will. you can you can let go of uh harry potter i don't need to know what happens after crimes of grindelwald but please let me know what happens in the george R. R. martin marcy world. you know you want to know I'm watching that later, by the way. I, so I, the listeners, if you did not listen to our episode on Crimes of Grindelwald, um, then you haven't lived really because you haven't met a version of me that I call Darksy. Um, I fucking hated that film. It was um, a rough time. It was a rough, rough time. But then last week, um, Brett, my husband, comes into the house and, um, <laughs> I guess I bought it. I don't like, honestly, John, I don't remember buying this Blu-ray at all, but it's like sitting uh, on my nightstand. You buy Blu-rays? I just buy digital. I do buy Blu-ray. That's weird, right? But I also still buy like, I literally went to Barnes and Noble this week and bought two books. So, oh, um, wow. So 1999 called week. and wants its life back, but I'm still living it. Can I tell you, so we're talking about Gilead and, and dystopian I honestly said to a friend um, when I was very drunk that I think I'm stockpiling books, movies, and board games because I keep waiting for the moment where everything goes and that's all we have. Like, that is the strangest fucking thing to think as a person. And I, like, the second it came out of my mouth and all my drunk friends were like, wait, what? <laughs> and I was like, holy shit, I'm a prepper. Like, I'm literally prepping. A doomsday books. prepper. Yeah, with like books, movies, and board games. Like, I haven't clearly thought about how I'm going to eat, but I'm very concerned that everything that I want to entertain me, I will have. You have so, dogs. I have dogs. That's true. Uh, <laughs> it's true. But yeah, no, I don't need to know how uh, Crimes of Grindelwald pans out. <laughs> so, Marcy, because the world's on fire, we're yeah. not going to go over the news right now because the world is on fire. I do um, want to say... Um, in regards to what the fuck, like we've said for kind of a couple weeks now, it's it's just hard to go through news. 
Um, but uh, breaking news, like as of like 10 minutes ago, I just saw the Homestead Child Detention Center that is four miles from my house has been, I'm going to use the word purged. Like there's not a single child left, but they're not reporting where they went. Um, that is really fucking creepy. Like I literally just went to the Miami Herald and like the news is like, there are no longer any children left at the Homestead Detention Center. Four people have, 400 people have been laid off. I'm like, first off, 400 fucking people were working at the Homestead Detention Center and like uh, 130 people will be left there waiting. Uh, no announcement as to where the children were taken, which uh, is very strange. And my guess is that they were taken in like the middle of the night and moved. Um, the most logical conclusion I have for this is um, we in South Florida, um, I'm obviously uh, in Homestead, which is about a five minute drive from the Keys. Um, we are starting to prep for hurricane season. And I want to hope that actions were taken to move kids to a safer place because they put out this like action plan for what they would do um, if a hurricane hit um, Homestead and like, uh, but obviously we all know that whatever they have just gone through is another relocation to another unsafe concentration camp. And sorry, that was just like breaking news in like the like last 10 minutes. And so um, because I've talked to everyone <laughs> about it. Yeah. On a lighter note, besides the news, we were going to talk about what yeah. were the, what are the last couple of things you've listened to. And the reason we were going to talk about this is because music is a form of self-care. And, and we music were, is really featured in the show. It, it has, and, and, and it has done a really good job of like magnifying horror. Especially with this upcoming episode. Yes, that is, uh, yes. Like music can be a form of self-care. It can also be very poignant at capturing emotions and in, in moments so you and i talked about like let's just talk about like what's on our our spotify playlist or our itunes playlist um like top three and uh so i'll give you mine if you want um yeah number one is uh anything by lizzo um She's but, amazing. yeah she really is i keep trying to get i keep trying to convince myself to not pay uh, she sold out her concert sold out in Miami within like 24 hours. And I like really want tickets. Um, but they're reselling for like 500 bucks because she has been crowned second in command here in South beach. And so it's really difficult, <laughs> but, uh, I'm obsessed with truth hurts. Every time I have like a bad moment, I just put it on and I feel like a, a bomb ass bitch every time I listen to it. Um, Katy Perry's never really over has been playing a lot on my so good list it is such a good song i want to i want to say something deeper than that but like quite honestly it's just it's everything i love 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 that song um and then uh the other one is actually really cheesy i've been uh teaching myself to i i play piano for like mental health um played since i was a kid and i've been teaching myself to play she used to be mine on the piano so I've got a I ton of Sarah Bareilles. Yeah. And I think actually she used to be mine as a good analogy to where June is um, and where a lot of us are right now as, as we look around and resist. And it's like, Jesus, I really don't even recognize myself right now. So those are, those are the three uh, top spots on my uh, iTunes playlist. So many listeners may or may not know, Marcy knows this, I do not turn to music when I need to self-care. I usually turn to like television or like movies. 
um, I, I didn't hear that, Marcy. Um, <laughs> and um, or I turn to like work because I, I work a lot and I just throw myself into that. So, but I do love to blare like just blast out and like blare music out of my car when I'm driving um, and sing along. So right now on my playlist are a few things. Um, obviously uh, the church's album is on repeat always with me. I still believe in Taylor Swift. So, you know, come at me bro like i'm all here for her um brandy carlisle i love her and then um most recently because i am such a nerd um and marcy you're gonna so appreciate this i have been listening to the original um broadway cast recordings of a lot of famous um, i'm gonna lose it no first of all (laughs) terror terror (laughs) didn't sleep for a week I love Second Taylor, of all, I love Idris, but no, no. Um, uh, I actually watch it when I need to get scared. That trailer, <laughs> when I need to like cry all of a sudden, I'll put it on real quick. Um, no, I have been listening to um, the original cast recordings of a lot of famous Broadway musicals that I I've known pieces of, but I've always um, wanted That's to like. Fun. Yeah, like understand, but like what made them classic. And there was an amazing um, new rendition of an all, um, God, what's the word? Um, uh, Yiddish Fiddler on the Roof. So it wasn't in, it was in Yiddish. So it was, um, and it was an amazing fresh air with Terry Gross, who if I ever get to go on Terry Gross and speak to her, I can I can die. I but would there, leave Brent for Terry Gross in a second. Yeah, ditto. Like, I mean, I would leave Brent for Terry Gross for, in a second. Um, but so I my, would my name be of Gross? Of Gross, yeah. Or of Terry. Um, of Terry. <laughs> um, but I just finished listening to a bunch of original soundtracks from the Broadway golden age even though i think we're in a renaissance on broadway right now um but also i listened to the fiddler on the roof original broadway soundtrack and it is just iconic it is so good you know what you need you need my second copy of it in vinyl because i I literally so i collect old school i'm a huge theater nerd um grew up doing theater um (laughs) i collect vinyls of the old 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 musicals um like everyone's looking for the Beatles and CCR and whatever. And as am I, when I go vinyl shopping and yes, I look for vinyls. I'm a millennial hipster. Sorry, not sorry. Um, I love the sound and the crackle of a vinyl, but I have actually, I accidentally bought a second Fiddler on the Roof, the original. Um, I'm so shipping that to you. And also I'm very excited that you are looking at old school Broadway. Um, Broadway was the vehicle by which I feel like I was able to find myself when I was like a a kid. Yeah, Uh, totally. A hundred percent. It's so good. It was so liberating. It's, um, and to listen to like iconic actors that we know and like that, it's, 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 it was a lot of fun. So, um, that's what I've been listening to. That's so fun. I'm so excited for you. And you're right. We are going through a Renaissance. I should say that, um, Hadestown has been playing uh, a lot on my iTunes. Um, And then uh, I just saw last night on Twitter uh, some friends that were at the previews for Moulin Rouge on Broadway. Um, So very excited. Oh, I've heard wonderful things. Right. Uh, Jagged Little Pill is about to go to to Broadway as well. Um, There's just, it it is a renaissance right now. Uh, uh, 
Yeah, I love theater. Speaking of theater. <laughs> Let's break down this episode. Let's break down this drama. <laughs> All right, so I wanted to start off with a discussion on whether or not you and I think that this episode is a bottleneck episode. Uh, so for listeners who are like, what the fuck is a bottleneck episode? And does that matter? Um, if you've followed the pop culture theologians, uh, we have discussed this before with the Akechita episode of Westworld. So a bottleneck episode is where you get completely taken out of the current narrative and put somewhere else for an entire 60 minutes. So, um, it, it is all in, encompassed in one place uh, that is separate from the narrative telling. Um, so if you remember in Westworld, we were going through the craziness that was the last season of Westworld and suddenly we have an episode that is just Akichita's backstory uh, in Westworld. We never ever have a present day moment. Um, I think this is as close as Handmaid's Tale has gotten to an episode that is singular and, 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 bottlenecky i'm not sure if it's completely there what do you think i um yeah it's a real standalone episode you yeah. I, I did struggle with watching it um obviously um the song that plays constantly um is like a torturous device and i think they utilize music in a way here to um not only make you hate that song um heaven is a place on earth right i think is what it's called or whatever it's belinda um, carlisle's heaven belinda, is a place on earth yeah. yeah and so they constantly play it and she you find the torturous nature that june is in sitting there um and thinking of ways in which um she can make music out of um the monotonous life around her it is the total bottleneck episode though in my opinion i mean you're there for like all f- 50 minutes or so For, i would say 55 out of the 60 minutes yeah. we are in one place experiencing something very singular so this episode opens up with june in the hospital on her feet um in front of of matthew's bed so there's two dead. yeah there's two things we need to figure out here very quickly um one of Matthew is being kept alive to keep the bias, the bias, the fetus viable, um, right? And we know this because doctors keep entering in and out and they only comment on the baby's vitals, like not enough Matthew. And we're supposed to immediately catch that, right? So this is a, she is now an incubator for a child. Um, I mean, she was always an incubator for a child, but this is, a, this is the kind of closest we've gotten to seeing them actually completely disregard of Matthew because she doesn't matter. Uh, The other thing we're supposed to know is this is not the day after the loaves and fishes shooting. This is months after the loaves and fishes shooting. They do a time jump. Yeah. So June has been in a perpetual state of hell. Uh, I can't... I think if we were to ask Aunt Lydia, she is being a good partner, but she's also being taught a lesson. A good uh, walking partner. A good walking partner. For those of us watching, this is actual torture. Uh, and um, again, I struggle with Aunt Lydia's motivation. Um, like June should be dead. Like she has dissented enough that she should be dead. But here we are again, uh, just punishing June really randomly. Um, so we know she's been holding vigil in front of, of Matthew for months. Now, 
I myself, uh, having grown up a Catholic, uh, know how painful it is to kneel for an extended period of time. Um, the idea of kneeling and praying for months and months at a time is so mind-boggling. I can't really wrap my head around it. Um, and sitting there kneeling. Just for... sitting there kneeling. Um, I, so I've spent, uh, like we've discussed, I've spent a lot of time in hospitals. Um, probably the longest time I ever spent um, was a couple months. Um, it, hospital visits for the patient are a blur, right? But if you talk to like my husband or my dad who have been the ones who have kind of held vigil for me when I've been sick, it's also a blur for them. And it's torturous for them to sit next to me and just kind of, it's just a waiting game and it's just the same monotony all day. So this to be, for this to be happening to June as torture is ooh, awful. And then you're right. We, June kind of looks at the camera and she's like, um, Ooh, baby, do you know what it's worth? Ooh, heaven is a place on earth. And then she breaks the fourth wall, which has been done a couple times on the show. Yeah. And she kind of just whispers stress, kind of like, just wait, you'll hear it. And that's when we're supposed to be like, Oh shit, she's gone nuts. Yeah. Which, she's completely broken. Right. Which does which she did happen. at the last episode that was, it mm -hmm. was, like, you know, uh, queued up at the last episode, but now we really see it. Right. Um, and, you know, this isn't, uh, re this is what I would call reality adjacent. We know that at Guantanamo Bay, they play Christina Aguilera nonstop. Oh my God, those poor people. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> How dare you? Honest to God. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> How dare you? I was about to go through. I was like, is it the dirty album that I consider to be sacred? And I think it is. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I am who I am, John. There's a <laughs> Which is another classical Broadway song from, <laughs> from La Caja Falls. <laughs> hey, there we go. Right. Um, so, oh, let's see how many Broadway uh, references I can get in here. Um, but she breaks the wall and she's like, you'll hear it. <laughs> like, and it makes it, it, we're supposed to know suddenly as a viewer that we are in the next like 55 minutes going to go down the rabbit hole with June. And we know that because the camera's not panning anywhere else. We're not jumping scenes. Like, remember, I criticize this show all the time for being like, we're at a birthing scene. Suddenly we're at a gym. We're back at the birthing scene, back to Boston, back to DC. No, like the camera is, is, <laughs> we're doing more pan shots of June's face than we've ever done, but she's clearly unwell. Well, there's nothing in the scene to watch, but except her. for her facial expressions, um, which her acting in this episode, even though I think there's very nonsensical writing in this episode, her her performance is is incredible. Um, I was about to say, as as someone who sometimes feels like she's losing her mind, I've related a lot to. Her does June speak to you in some way, Marcy? She does. It's like her slow descent into madness. I'm like, yeah, buddy. Yeah. Like the 12th time I've listened to Lizzo's Truth Hurts and I'm like, all right, I, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely not in a good place. I need to keep going. Um, so like we said, the doctors seem to be only concerned with their health. They're not particularly concerned with June either. And I would say that any medical professional would look at june and be like hey that's like a, this is toward like stop it she's gonna lose hey, her like, mind she shouldn't like do that <laughs> yeah like maybe like this is like not a good idea on lydia 
Um, but then uh, in an important kind of moment, June sees a vision, which I think is real life, but it's blurry because she's starting to lose her shit. She sees little girls walking down the hall of the hospital in their kind of pink outfits. They seem like ghosts to me in so many ways. I felt the same, which is why like I'm looking at like our outline. I'm like, it's like a vision, but I know it's not, but it kind of is. Um, and that stays with her. And I think that this is one of the first times uh, the show has asked us to think of what happens to the children. So like the, um, the show is not asking us like, think of the women. The show is asking us, think of the children. Um, which, how do you feel about that? Well, children in this episode, um, well, what we get in this episode as well as queuing up from previous ones and then moving forward is the focus on the children for June's ultimate grand plan and where she's at with this um, when she sees children. And and I think at the end of this episode, it really cues her up to why she does what she does or is going to do what she's going to do. So, you know, it's always been about like Hannah or Nicole, like children are always like kind of like the subplot that is pushing the main characters and whatever they're doing, but they're slowly becoming like the plot now. So I would like to let you know that I fucking hate this. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I do. And um, I'm going to bring us back to Westworld and Maeve. And, and... It, for those of you who listened to us, uh, or actually you read, read, read because we weren't even podcasting back then. Um, I very much struggled with one of the lead characters, Maeve, um, her extremely badass identity suddenly transforming into only it being about her being a mother and not a woman. Um, and so for me, this episode is the culmination of like, the show losing the June of the novel. Um, And that is okay. Like the show is not mandatorily like beholden to its source material, AKA Game of Thrones, right? Uh, Well, there is no source material. There's there's no source material for where we are now, but I I would argue that there is source material for who, you know, who June is and, and, and who, and what, Margaret Atwood was focusing on. Margaret Atwood was focusing on the torture abuse of women and the use of them as incubators. It is very, very much a completely different ball game that this show has now made June the saver of children because that is one step away from being Serena who was the saver of mothers, right? And, and children. Uh, I'm like, you remember how pissed I was about <laughs> Harry Potter? Um, a little bit. A little bit. That like I'm containing my rage mostly because it's a little far removed. Because like we told folks, we're recording this a bit late because of me being sick and on vacation. Um, the fuck, folks! This is not a show about saving children. This is a show about saving women. <laughs> and like for some folks, uh, particularly if there's anyone listening who's a parent. That is not an attack on parenthood or children, but it is an, an actual, like, for me, it's an affront to fundamentally Margaret Atwood saying women are not breeders. That is not their sole directive. And like the point of A Handmaid's Tale 
was to deconstruct the narrative that society has that women are only worth something if they are mothers. Like, and if they can't be mothers, then they must serve mothers. And like now, I, I what am I rooting for? I'm rooting for a fucking like child crusade. I I can't. And we'll go we'll go further into this, but like um uh, as I've mentioned before, John, you know this, like my very stalled dissertation is on Handmaid's Tale. <laughs> and I know this text backwards and forwards. And like, this is like, for me, the ultimate betrayal. So I, I don't know. <laughs> Does this make me sound like a total bitch? Like that I'm like, I don't fucking give a shit about the children. Like, well, no, the episode, it was, it, the the show is about women and the show is about them i think the children becoming the main plot changes what we're talking about right and and, and that can be and it can be an and or, or like an and and which is i simultaneously want the show to focus on june as a human not connected to children um while simultaneously acknowledging that the whole point of using them as incubators is to create more incubators. So like these children will eventually, and that's why it's important to see the line of little girls in pink. These are future incubators. Like they're only important as children for the moment in time that these commanders get to enjoy the feeling of being parents. But the second they're fertile, right, which is probably why these girls are at the hospital, then they must also go into the cycle of rape and incubation, right? So like, I wanna simultaneously acknowledge that like, every single daughter of Gilead will inevitably be a victim of Gilead. And I understand why that is important while simultaneously being like, I, this is a different story than the one Margaret Atwood set out to tell, specifically in what she was deconstructing. Um, so I don't know. And like, I, I, I'm not a mother. And so I can't, I can't tap into like, there is no separation between me as a woman and me as a mother. And I'm sure there's people listening who are like, trust me, girl, there is no separation. And I want to acknowledge that, um, and acknowledge that like, even the boys, right? Like, I can't imagine how horrifying it would be to be like, my son is marching towards becoming a rapist or a what like I get I get all that I'm just struggling with I've said this we're working around in circles avoiding letting June have conflict in this series and the circles we're starting to spin are starting to one obviously make June go crazy and two maybe make me go crazy because I'm like I don't recognize this version of of this story sorry what's a new story (laughs) it is a new story uh I, I just don't know uh, what to do with it. So, so yeah, like I'm the bitch who's like, fuck the shit. I, this story wasn't about babies, um, <laughs> but it is. So, well, uh, right now it is. Right. So, not talking about babies. June does seem to be thinking about killing of Matthew, <laughs> uh, whose name in the last episode at Fishes, Loaves and Fishes, we figure find out from Aunt Lydia yelling it out is Natalie. Um, why do you, so I couldn't figure out, like, I think there's a, a ton of different reasons why she would want to kill a Matthew. What do you think? Is it like to save her from having to do this, like vengeance? Like, I think, um, at the first part of the episode, it's 
vengeance still. I think she's still mad at her. Um, but then secondarily, I think June comes back and she sees that what's going on here and what they're doing is actually torturing of Matthew still. And she wants to let her go and she wants her to go and she doesn't want to bring another child into this world that would, you know, continue the system. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. I think at the beginning, her madness is still tied to her rage um, because it, I think she's finally had to let go of the idea because of, of Matthew, she's had to let go of Hannah, metaphorically speaking. So she's still raging, but also understands that if she was in that position, she'd want someone to fucking like put a pillow over her face and yeah. kill both her and the child. So none of them have to suffer there. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, I agree. So. And then, and then who comes back? My favorite, <laughs> Janine. Oh, um, Janine. I okay. I honestly love Madeline Brewer in this in this role. I think she's like an unsung hero in regards to her performance in this show. Um, so she runs into Janine and like she kind of tells Janine she wants to like kill of Matthew and like is obviously she's she's rambling. She's like deranged rambling. Like I ramble about cursed child. Um, and Janine's like, yeah, I don't like the person you're turning into. Like you really, she's a girl. Do you, have you seen yourself? Like, take a shower. <laughs> um, it's it's a beautiful scene. Like, I can make fun of it, but it's a beautiful scene because they've worked really hard to humanize Janine from the first episode to where we are today. And I think that that is because the writers realize that they wrote a really flat character at the beginning, and now they've fleshed out her character more and more and more and more. Right. Hmm. Um, but it's, it's something when Janine is the voice of reason in an episode. Exactly. Like, I, I love her. Or especially our next visitor to the room of hell, the white room of hell. We have the red room in Jane Eyre. Right. We have the white room here. Right. Um, I, so what am I, John, what am I going to say? What I've been saying this, this whole, like, this is nonsensical writing. So <laughs> you don't think the writing makes sense? Okay. <laughs> I would like one reason why Serena shows up in this bottleneck episode. It wasn't yeah. necessary. No idea why. I don't understand. It was who knows. And she's the just like randomly line. trolling the whole like first off, I thought you were in DC, girl. I thought you were hanging out with like Moscow Mitch. Like, why are you here? Like, why are you here? You're supposed to be like antiquing shit. Like, but she just like randomly walks into this hospital months later. Right. And she's like, oh, hey, June. I'm um, like, no, like it doesn't make. And, and I'm, we're about to bridge why the writers didn't did it, which makes it even dumber because it's just bad writing. But I'm like, I don't understand. OK, sure. And why does Serena keep ending up in rooms alone with June? Like, maybe not like me, like similar to like Daenerys and John at the end of like Game of Thrones, where it's like, wait, why are they by themselves? Like, where are the guards? Like, where is. Where is What's anyone, going on here? Anyone. It's just bad writing. Uh, I honestly think I may ask for a job in Hollywood where I ask people to send me their dramatic scenes and I tell them why they're dumb. That's a great job. Right? I'll be a consultant on guarding uh, <laughs> prisoners in, in shows. It's just, I'm, I'm here to point out where your guards are missing. Uh, so... So they get, into a, about- they get into a knife fight and basically <laughs> um, 
uh, we all remember June um, trying to figure out she's going to kill of Matthew and she goes into the little like um, discarded needles and scalpels thing, which is just terrifying to someone that would think about putting their hand in one of those boxes, but that's where she's at. And she pulls out a scalpel and that's where she and of Matthew had that conversation where she was going to kill um I'm sorry, uh, when she was going to kill, when she was with Janine, she was going to kill of Matthew. Yeah, she'd she had stolen the scalpel. But she capped the scalpel and she's basically like, come over Orange here, Serena. Serena. I, would, I would love to have a conversation with you. Come closer, Serena. And then Serena stupidly does. And then they get into a knife fight. And then <laughs> like, instead of fucking, because June is so weak, um, uh, she actually cuts herself pretty badly. And then Serena goes and finds the doctor and acts like nothing's wrong. And well, then the- first off, she like chides her and is like, you were supposed to be one of the strong ones. And I'm like, what the Bitch. fuck does that mean? I know, like, like that's some what, what is that? First off, you were part of the resistance for a hot second. Then you join the Trump administration. Now you're here being like, be strong. And it's like, no, you don't get to play both fields. Like, no. But here's what. Here's what's happening. The writers needed a vehicle by which to have a doctor check in on June. Right? Here's the thing. You didn't need Serena to randomly pop in and get into a scalpel fight. A doctor who took a Hippocratic oath could just look over his shoulder and look at Serena and be like, yo, not Serena, June. Be like, she's not doing well. And go check on her. And then you can have this conversation they're about to have and not bring Serena into it at all. Which was a good conversation. See, look, as a consultant, I would have charged about $180 an hour for that. 200, don't cut yourself short, pay inequality. You're so sweet. You're so sweet. Thank you for upping the pay gap. Uh, You're right, 200 an hour. So what does the doc say? So the doc, you know, he's like treating her, her gash and like June is obviously mentally unfit in the moment. And she decides to go in on the doctor and she's like, you took a Hippocratic oath. Like you're not taking care of a Matthew. She's just a fucking incubator for a baby. And the doctor's like, first off right now, the baby is my patient because Natalie is like brain dead. Like she's dead. Yeah, well, um, she is dead. She's brain dead completely. Right. Um, and I'm doing the best I can right now. Right. Like he, he is another kind of complicit like ministry of magic folks right like not necessarily part of the death eaters but like good luck trying to tell me that you weren't complicit um and so june brings up that her mom was a doctor um gynecologist i think right and the Uh, doc i think she was a women's doctor yeah one of those women folk doctors one of those women folk um and so the doctor goes oh like who who like nearby like because he's obviously been a doctor in this like boston area forever and like uh she goes you know dr holly maddox and he's like i totally knew scary dr holly maddox man she was awesome she was like a everyone everyone did like honestly starts praising um june's mom and doesn't realize in that moment how horrifying that moment is for june because june's like I don't even know if she's alive or dead, which lets us, the viewer, know that the transition between pre-Gilead and Gilead happened very quickly, and no one knows where their where their people are, right? So, like, he kind of gets quiet, acknowledging that the probability is that a female gynecologist was probably pro-women's choice, which means she probably died really early on in Gilead, but there's no way to know. And it's like a horrible moment, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and like, 
it's again supposed to show us that, like the day-to-day people are complicit as well right but also is this man just trying to survive he is a doctor he's not killing people per se so he's just trying to help in within the confines of what he can do uh it's an interesting kind of parallel to like you know for some folks like of matthew or even this doctor survival is submitting i think yeah right so then the baby is born um and um but the baby survives right i can't remember the baby is born you hear the baby scream and like it's supposed to remind us that like an episode ago june was like i hope i'm glad the baby's dead with the other birthing scene but here she's kind of like reads a sigh of relief i think because she felt guilty yeah um but she you know she's now allowed to leave the room but she says to aunt lydia she wants to stay with matthew until she passes um and this is where it stops being a bottleneck because we go outside and then that scene didn't need to happen outside it could have happened inside of the hospital room and it would have made more sense um so back into the hospital room like i said we only exited this hospital room for like a hot second um she apologizes to natalie a bit and kind of like in like a delusional tired type of way was like you don't deserve what happened to you like your son doesn't deserve to grow up here I have a plan. And she's saying this like a crazy person. She's like whispering to the wind. She's like, I'm going to get the children out. I'm going to save the children. And And she has that relationship. She has that conversation with the younger child in the hallway. Right. She does. Right. She has a conversation with one of the the little girls in pink um, on her way back up and asks them, you know, like to a certain extent, like, are you okay? Like, and you know, are you excited about like, eventually becoming like a wife or whatever and like a mother and they're like well that's what happens like yes we're excited but it it's it's the same type of like dead face kind of like of Matthew of like of course I'm going to do this that's what's expected of me um kind of deal which is why she like comes upstairs to of Matthew slash Natalie and is like I've got a new plan I'm going to get all the children out so it's not get about, him out. right it's not Hannah and Nicole it's let's just make this let's make this way bigger it's gonna be all the children we're gonna get them all out and scene end scene that is the end of episode uh nine Nine. so an interesting episode um visually um quite arresting i thought it was great i wish they had not made a couple uh i think there was it was an error to put serena in this episode and it was an error to take them outside i would have kept this entire episode inside so that it becomes kind of like this frenzied drug dream almost where um we get to live inside of June's head for 60 minutes. Um, but hey, I'm not a Hollywood screenwriter yet. 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 Uh, comes my next chapter in my life. So moving on to episode 10. Can I get a witness? I know. Episode 10 witness. Uh, I, I was excited to go through this one with you because this is movement <laughs> yeah we're getting back to something now we're getting back to some movement and i loved how this episode ended did you yeah is it because you love carbs and you're from the midwest that's harsh marcine <laughs> i married. feel so attacked i'm married to the midwest i can't help it i can't help it um <laughs> so uh, I did want to note that in the beginning of this episode of Witness, um, June makes mention that it's been five years now since Gilead began and America fell. 
Um, so that's just a timestamp that I think is important for us as viewers. Um, so everything we've seen, and this season has been so crazy that like, I want to say everything we've seen from like the systems in place to like DC being redone and all of this has happened in five years. Uh, so that, I think that's, that's a good, um, a good indicator of how quickly a regime can, can take happen. over. Yeah. 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 Yeah how quickly the Trump administration will take over when they lose the election, which I don't think they will lose actually. So it's so, just a warning sign. <laughs> yeah. Literally. Literally. So talk to me about what the commanders want for Boston. So we all remember what it was like to go to DC. Um, they want to make Boston DC um, because they feel that Gilead needs to be run like a tight ship similar to DC. So their focus um, turns to Commander Lawrence and his, um, you know, kind of unnatural, really stolen decor. He steals art, remember, and has a lot of books. And um, so they really focus to Commander Lawrence, who's, you know, was a big architect of the shaping of Gilead. And, and I mean, like we knew, so there's always been whispers that Lawrence was different like with um emily obviously like he we knew that he was like i'm not doing this fucking pony show with you um uh and you're right like his house is is different than the other houses it wasn't until this episode that i realized that like the rigidity and decor and whatnot was mandatory versus like um a decision made yeah. i always i i recognize that like the wives rooms were all blue and whatnot but like uh, now this episode, I started looking um, close, closer, and I did this actually, you and I talked about this during uh, the DC episode of the season, which feels like 800 years ago. I said there's art from the museums uh, in DC inside Stabler's home. Like one of the tapestries is from uh, the the National Gallery, like if I, I did art history in undergrad and like if you, you can recognize like very famous pieces inside their homes. So I, I guess I never thought twice about it that that would be transgressive um, for the brothers of Jacob or uh, Gilead, right? But um, that if, when I thought about it, Stabler has biblical scenes that have been stolen from museums. Uh, Commander Lawrence, apparently, um, I was doing some research, uh, everything he has is like modern art, which you wouldn't steal, you would probably burn, right? Um, yeah. And, and, and he's surrounded by books at all time, and we know that books are controversial in Gilead. God forbid you read a book in Gilead, uh, you'll lose your finger, Serena. Exactly. So yes, the focus turns on the quirky Professor Lawrence. <laughs> Everyone's favorite great nutty professor. I know, I know. Um, and the problem with turning on Commander Lawrence is that it is also a turn on Mrs. Lawrence, mm -hmm. who Commander Lawrence lets June know the meds are not coming through anymore. So this is where it's confirmed that, which I'm going to throw some shade right now, uh, it's confirmed that Gilead seems to be Scientology-based where there's no psych meds available. She would just be considered deficient and killed. Yeah. Well, right? she like I just finished Man in the High Castle. She definitely would be killed. Yes, yeah, euthan uh, euthanized. Yeah. Uh, so obviously, Commander Lawrence from the beginning has been smuggling in drugs, um, 
medication, drugs is always such an aggressive word, medication for her bipolar condition, he's no longer being able to get it in, which puts him and his wife at risk, but particularly his wife, which for everything we can say about Commander Lawrence, he loves his wife. And Very much so. And she's an, if she is not medicated, she is in significant danger. So obviously Commander Lawrence is scared. And the best thing you could possibly have in your house when you need shit is a scared commander. Right? Mm-hmm. So then we go on to Kiki at Loaves and Fishes. Talk to me Loaves about Loaves and Fishes. Um, well, we have a Kiki there. And June um, is super proud of her plan. So she tells of Robert her plan. And of Robert looks at her and she's like, girl, you crazy. Also, like I like I refuse to think that she's like the first person who's been like, I'm gonna get kids out of here. Like, okay. Because the Marthas have been trying to do it forever. By the right. Way. This is such a and criticism of represent. white savior. Yes, yes. white saviorship. Oh, look, a cute no, like a cute new little white feminist who's like, I'm gonna save women from patriarchy. And everyone like, I'm else totally over here. I'm gonna write a book like, about why white women need to be advocates. <laughs> yeah, you're every, be like, girl. Every woman that you have stepped on to get to that conclusion is over here waving like, yo, hey, hey. Exactly. So um, basically the kiki happens and she gets told she's cray cray. But then we really go back to, you know, Commander Waterford, who's kind of on his high horse after coming back from D.C. And he's really flexing his Nazi like muscles and brings out um, the handmaids to some sort of inspection. And we get these side comments that the veil and rings are coming because remember, they want it to be more like D.C. Um, and that like a crackdown is coming. Well, and Aunt Lydia looks really concerned and she's like, but obviously it'll be voluntary, right? Like, and like Commander Waterford's like, yeah, 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 sure. And it's like, who, stop being dumb. No one's volunteering for rings and veils and face masks. Like the second they're here, they're here. But like, I think that that shows us that Aunt Lydia could potentially be a source of resistance. Maybe. Uh, maybe. I, that is definitely from a writer's perspective foreshadowing that Aunt Lydia is not going to take that type of shit lying down, which I'm like, really? That's like, you literally drilled something into Janine's eye, but you're like, you're drawing the line there. Um, which goes back to that conversation you and I had, which I struggle with, which is, am I supposed to understand Aunt Lydia's awfulness as protecting them from what she knows Gilead could become? Uh, which I don't like. I don't like that. I don't like that. <laughs> uh, I don't like excusing Aunt Lydia's behavior as protection of her girls, um, of her girls, right? Because it brings to me of like purity culture, where dads are like super overprotective and like terrifying with their daughters to protect them from the outside world. Because God forbid, like you'll go to a purity ball with me because you won't lose your purity ball to someone else. Like it's just gross. So. I, I'm not. I'm not a huge fan of it, but I do think we need to note that that is what I would consider some J.K. Rowling foreshadowing. <laughs> and take a shot. <laughs> There's been like five shots. <laughs> so Dolores Umbridge is legit saying like, "Whoa, there's even a line for me." So. <laughs> Uh, but there is no line for Dolores Umbridge. There really wasn't. Well, unicorns apparently. <laughs> well, apparently, yeah. That's actually one of the worst written parts of like the entire series, which is like everyone laughs and like ching chings their like butter beers because Dolores Umbridge is getting raped by a bunch of centaurs in the forest. Um, <laughs> not a great moment in Harry Potter, or not a great moment for all of us who were like, yeah, Dolores. And then it's like, oh, wait, wait, what? 
what happened to her? Like, not comfortable with it. Um, and come at me at anyone who thinks that that's not really what's insinuated in that text, because it is. Exactly. Uh, so going back, back to the Lawrences. Speaking back of to rape, the nutty professor's house. Speaking of rape. Um, so June has free reign of the Lawrence house. Like she has free reign of all of Gilead, but she can't seem Apparently. to get out. Yeah. Um, she's looking for what she calls the red files. So these are the files that have the locations of all the handmaid's children. Um, I actually talked about this with a friend. I said, do you think that includes children that are conceived in Gilead or, or children who were taken from handmaids pre-Gilead? Like, be, and my friend was like, do you think there's a differentiation for a mother of a child she gave birth to in Gilead versus pre-Gilead? Again, I'm not a mother. Um, I would love for you guys to totally like tell me I'm wrong on Twitter if I'm wrong because I can't, I can't function from a place I don't know. But I would say that this is one of those and situations. I think that June loves Nicole and Hannah the same but different. Uh, but that there is something mentally different about a child born in Gilead to a child who was taken from a life from before. Partially because for most of them, the child born in Gilead, half of that child is part of Gilead, right? It comes from a commander or a doctor who's donating his sperm or like. No, um, not donating. Right. Well, no, there's the doctor. If you remember in the first season, there's a doctor who's like, dude, I can get you pregnant because most of those guys are sterile. Oh, yeah, that's right. Because the problem with Gilead isn't the women as, you know, the books line out. It's actually the men. It's weird. That's like almost like my like too long didn't read world. <laughs> the problem is men. <laughs> so um, yeah. So she's looking for these handmade files. I'm going to take a gander that the red files are for the children that were taken when women turned into handmaids, not the children of Gilead. Um, yeah, maybe. I, I I think we need to know more about them. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And. Commander Lawrence's wife walks in. She seems to be on one of her high kicks. And she's like, those files are downstairs in the basement. Like, follow me. Follow me. Like, like, I'll totally show you. Yeah, I was like, wait. <laughs> Why are those files at Commander Lawrence's house? Those files would be at some, like, honest to God, like at a district attorney's office or at, a, like, a hospital. Or, like, it. this is bad writing. Locked up somewhere. Why are they in Commander Lawrence's basement? Like that is dumb. Like that, I, I get that it'd be very hard to have June break into somewhere to get these files, but it is a harder mental jump for me that like every single handmade file is sent to Commander Lawrence, but he has no power. If every handmade file is sent to Commander Lawrence, then Waterford and Sadler like have no power over him. He's obviously, it's like, it, there's a discrepancy there for me from a narrative perspective. Yeah. But sure, all right. Uh, so June is looking through these files and she has kind of like a heart to heart with Mrs. Lawrence. And she's like, you know, I want to get these kids out. We could get you out. We could get, we could get you and the commander out, right? Like they'll, they'll take you in exchange for something. The files and the children could be the exchange. And Mrs. Lawrence in like a very clear minded moment goes, no, my husband's a war criminal. There's nothing he could offer. Yeah. Would, like he's a war criminal and like i think i've been sitting with this for a bit because this whole time i've been like she's bipolar and 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 mildly horrified at what's happening 
Um, She's very clear in what happened. Yes. The bipolar is the foil that allows us to, so I'm supposed to throw all of her behavior at, well, she's bipolar. Whereas what, what, how would my mental state be if my husband was the architect of this horrific circle of clusterfuck of rape and abuse and killing and brutal, like brutal regime. And I'm still sleeping right next to him in bed every night. Mm -hmm. I also would like, I wouldn't, and I, I don't want to be like, I want to make sure that I'm not using ableist language here. Um, that is not her bipolar symptoms coming out. That is her humanity responding to the inhumanity of her husband and the disconnect that she has of like this husband who loves her and is kind to her. And then this is the same husband who has allowed people like June to be ripped from her children, raped, beaten, electrocuted, whatever. She can't like, no person without a mental illness could process that add on top the bipolar and even less, but like she, she's having a natural conclusion reaction to what her husband is. Mm -hmm. Right. Like imagine going to bed next to someone who is like quite literally a monster and that monster loves you to pieces. Yeah. Yeah, no. I mean, I probably would have killed Brent by now. <laughs> yeah, like I would have woken up in the middle of the night and been like, fuck this, I'm going to end up on the wall anyway. I might as well take down one of the architects of this system. And like, that's it. Like, so. She always discovered that he's just a cog in the puzzle, you know, a, like well, a cog in the machine. I think this is what Commander Lawrence discovers, which is when you build a system, you're not immune to it. Right? Like, because, because what happens? Like, let's. Right. Why? Let's, let's walk through this. So he, so um, we have a dinner party at Dinner Kiki, um, and the Waterfords and others show up to force a ceremony at the Lawrences. And, and the ceremony, Aunt Lydia lets us know, or someone on the show lets us know, this June. used to happen. It's June. Is it June? Yeah, that it yeah. used to happen a lot at the beginning of Gilead, where they would have to bring in witnesses to the ceremony because people weren't doing it, which... Again, this is one of those things where I'm like, put that in your back pocket. Gilead didn't happen naturally. So that means that at the beginning- Gilead happened through complicit complacency. Well, and that there, were, there must have been people who were resisting commanders, commander wives, who were like, I can't fucking do this. Like, I can't do this. We're five years removed. And apparently all it took was five years for them to not need to do this anymore. But at the beginning, they did. So at the beginning, they had to force commanders and commander's wives to, to do the deed. Um, which again, snapshot, it's a five-year difference. Within five years, this entire society had normalized the ceremony. Mm -hmm. I think that's important. No, it is. It really is. And so basically, um, we have not seen a ceremony in a long time. Oh, well, for a, for a while, I can't remember the last time we saw one, but um, you know the they all go upstairs and you know they're kind of like oh we we'll fake it you know we won't. Well, Commander um, Lawrence is like we'll just like fucking fake it like it's fine. But Aunt Lydia, I think knowing that June is June was like there's a medical examiner here. That is her resisting. That's Aunt Lydia resisting. That is literally Aunt Lydia saving June and being like you don't like please, like you can't fake this. My, my darling 
which is what probably what she would say to her. Like yeah, mother, and, yeah, and because of the breakdown and because of everything that's been going on, Commander Lawrence's wife has kind of like a breakdown and they have to like awful. calm her down. It's so awful. Like when when June comes into the room, Commander Lawrence still thinks he's in command and he's like, we'll just like play Parcheesi or whatever. And like June looks at him and she was like, there's a doctor downstairs. Like this is going to happen. She moves Commander Lawrence's wife to that corner where she's able to pull the drapes around her so she doesn't have to look. And she pretty much has to walk Commander Lawrence through the rape. Um, because she's like, sorry, but you don't, like, you have to do this. Right? Yeah. And this is where we were talking about is he thought the system would never catch up to him. The eggs, that, like, he is exempt from it. Like, even if he, he's exempt from it. And, like, we, we see this a lot um, in systems of power. Like, for me, like, a very good example of this is, like, um, when you look at, we, let's use the Catholic Church, right? Um, why not? Why not? I'm, I've never brought them up before. Um, the Catholic Church, right, uh, preaches, uh, uh, there's so many examples. I was going to use the poverty one. Let's start with the poverty one, right? Teaches that we need to give to the poor, that we must like, you know, ourselves become poor to become rich, like to be merciful, to be all these things, right? As they sit on the largest uh, endowment in the world, money-wise, right? So they've created a system they're just not beholden to it. Like they're not beholden to their teachings, right? Uh, you know, priests pr preach, you know, sexual purity from here on out and everything is about women being like merry and virginly and everything. And yet, you know, the biggest sex abuse ring in the world is the Catholic church. Again, not bound to its rules, not bound to its, uh, to the core principles. So I think Commander Lawrence, similar to like, organizations that think about things like this is actually maybe even a critique of academia and i can i can conflate academia with the catholic church all the time but that the problem of thinking of things esoterically like up here i'm like waving my hands in the air up here is that we take the human out of them right so like when we talk about like queer studies feminist studies uh any of these things as academics as experts we sometimes take the human out of it. So like Commander Lawrence maybe was a very good, and I'm using good in, in Joey air quotes, writer about ways in which they could create a system that would up births, right? And a system that would curb whatever happened to lead to the low birth number and all this bullshit or whatever and never thought through the fact that actual humans would need to do it. Similar to the colonies, like the colonies were necessary, but he, you know, like the reality of the colonies didn't hit him until they were actually created, right? But like, yeah, he must never have thought like, like most people who institute like awful practices that it would catch, like, like the Trump voters who have been very surprised when their like wives or husbands are deported. Like there's multiple interviews like on YouTube, if you Google it, of like Trump supporters who were like, yeah, I want the border wall like secure and I want, I want immigrants to turn up and not my husband, my undocumented husband. <laughs> and it's like, oh, you thought it, you thought it didn't mean you. Mm -hmm. You thought you were exempt. Right, right. Um, I also want to note that this scene as a woman is difficult to watch because June as a woman is required to do all of the fucking emotional labor for this entire scene. 
So mm-hmm. Commander Lawrence is unable to comfort his wife and he is unable to process what's happening. And he's like literally being led by June gently into her rape. And through it. And through it. And that is like, if you've never read up on emotional labor and like what that does to women, like the studies show that like women, if you add the emotional labor that they do in their lives, aside from their paid labor, we're at like double our hours a week. <laughs> the emotional and domestic labor that is done. Like women bear that that in the relationships that they are in. So it's just interesting that she's like, all right, like you you've got to do this. Like you'll be fine. Like take your head out of it. Like, you know, just leave your body for a second, rape me, and then we'll figure out how to keep taking care of your wife. Please don't cry. Like everything will be fine. It is a horrifying scene. And yet we never see the rape, which I think is one, good. We don't need to. And two, it is enough to see her walk him through the reality of it, but mostly just to see Commander Lawrence's wife breaking down. And she should, because she is complicit. And like, again, I have soft feelings for her, but like, fuck you. Like, sorry, not sorry. Like, the fact that she has to listen to her husband rape June is is nothing compared to what the handmaids Martha's and everyone else has been through, right? Yeah, exactly. That she's finally forced to understand what her husband did and how she's been complicit in it. Right, right. So then, um, basically, you know, we're getting near the end of the episode and Commander Lawrence gives June birth control and she mentions that, you know, the punishment for this for contraceptives is you get torn apart by dogs um and then he basically as a result of finally having to be part of the system that he created i think even though that's not an excuse promises to get her his kids her kids and the wife to safety and that he'll get her a truck she can get his wife out she'll get a truck that is big enough to get a bunch of kids out like 10 kids out is what he thinks right 10 kids um also, right before the scene, Serena comes up and, like, in a very human moment, kind of comforts Mrs. Lawrence. Um, and again, I, I feel like the writers keep trying to, to have it both ways with Serena. And, like, it's difficult because you and I both love the idea of the fact that, like, people are embracing nuanced characters. Um, but Serena's a war criminal. Sorry. Like... <laughs> Do it with someone else. But at this point, having Serena be like the one who's like, doctor, please check up on June. Let me check up on Miss Lawrence. But simultaneously, I want to put rings in every single one of these bitches' mouth. Like, it's not working for me. Um, mm-hmm. Like, Serena is not going to be a savior here. So I'd rather they pivot and turn her into a full-on fucking, like, villain and turn her into literally lording over Commander Waterford because she is the better of the two. She's the stronger of the two. Um, it's just, I don't, I get, I, I don't know much to do with that, but, but yes, you're right. Uh, at the end of this episode, um, my guess is she's going to take an entire pack of birth because it's not an after, uh, it's not like a day after pill. It's like an entire yeah. pack. So like she has to take an entire pack, uh, which is very, uh, dangerous still, um, uh, to do, um, because before there was day after pills, um, I remember like in college, like my friends would be like, Hey, like if like you had, uh, like if they had accidentally had like, uh, unprotected sex or the condom broke or something like that, like it was just kind of like urban myth, like take five of your birth control pills and like, you can't get pregnant. 
Oh my God. But it's actually extremely dangerous. Like, um, because it's a shit ton of hormones going into your body. So, um, maybe the only reason I thought of that is because I just distinctly remember Broward Hall, Florida State University, that like more than once I had friends who were like, oh, I took like five or six of my birth control pills. It works, it works like a, like, like a day after pill. And like, that's also showing like, I'm, I'm like dating myself that like there was like when I was in college, the morning after pill was not like something you could just go to Walgreens and pick up. So, um, yeah, especially where you went to school. Right. Hashtag go Knowles. Um, but right. So back to, to loaves and the fishes to our favorite Kiki spot. June now tells all the haters, I've got a fucking car. I've got a commander. Who's She's like that popular girl that came back. Like my dad just bought me a car <laughs> and um, totes my dad, the inventor of post-its gave me a car and a bunch of other shit. So we're going to make this happen. Let me know. Uh, let me know if you want me to pick up your kid. That's pretty much what she does, right? Yeah. I mean, she's pretty much like, help me get the word out. Like, yeah, right. Like, let's spread this through the networks. And um... <laughs> she's so, like, without caution. Yes. And that's exhausting. And, like, <laughs> can I give you a story that this relates to that has stayed with me for a very long time? <laughs> mm-hmm. So my brother, Brent, my husband, and I, we're in my car driving back from Halloween Horror Nights, uh, which is a ritual we will be reenacting in about a month. Um, and Brent was definitely speeding. And so a cop pulls up behind us and like the sirens go off and like my blood goes cold, like cold. Cause like I've, I've only been stopped by a cop once and it wasn't even my fault and I literally almost fainted. But my brother and I obviously were, were Latinos. Like I grew up in LA, it's, it's very different. Um, you know, like Channel 7 News, like, we were, like, paralyzed with, like, fear, and um, the cop pulls up, pulls up behind us, comes up to the door, and, like, says to Brent, you know you were speeding, and I think that my sweet, loving husband is going to react like a normal person and be like, I'm so sorry, officer, and he doesn't, like, he gave the worst attitude to this cop, he was like, I don't, I, I didn't even realize I was speeding, and the cop was like, yeah, you were going, like, 90 in, like, a 70, and he's like, Oh, well, all right. Well, just fucking give me my ticket. Like literally was like so careless. And like the cop was like not killing him. He was like, <laughs> he was just like, you know, you need to be more careful. And Brent was like, yeah, I heard you. Like, I'm not like honest to God. So the cop writes Brent his ticket, hands it to him. Uh, Brent is a six foot three blonde, blue eyed. Aryan race Aryan, like, Aryan specimen from Midwest, from Ohio. And like my brother and I, when this cop drives off, look at each other, like literally are like, what the fuck? Like what, what just happened? And like Brent literally was mystified that we thought, at, we, that first off that we thought the exchange was weird at all. And that like, we, I was like, what? what in white privilege is this i was like what, what like i'm still flabbergasted by it and john paul and i are, are present very white for latinos but like in miami people know we're latino it's in like places like the midwest where they're like you're not um but like we were both like you realize if you were black or brown you'd be dead right now and brown like was like i didn't even think of it and i was like that's the point like that is the point like it never even crossed brent's mind that he was in danger 
or that he was endangering those of us in the car with him, right? Um, June is so blinded by her white privilege, even in this world, that she's like completely careless with like, hey guys, loaves and fishes, what's up? We're gonna start a network that like traffics children. And like how, how much that puts like every single person in there in danger. Obviously she learned nothing from of, of Matthew. Like, and, and I'm just kind of like disturbed by it because the show is not critiquing that. The show is just play, it, it's just showing the way white privilege shows up in a person, right? Um, but that scene is like very annoying to me because I'm like, what's her face? Um, her friend uh, is like the one who tells her you're crazy the first time is obviously trying very hard to survive while resisting. And June just kind of is like, um, I came in like a wrecking ball. <laughs> like she's like, just it there. I don't know. It's really crazy to watch. Yeah. And but then what, I, how does the episode end? Why don't you walk us through this, the, this ending and we can talk about its symbolism. So like, um, bread obviously has served as many symbols in the past and um you know to get the message out you know june's you know basically says this is how you should communicate with me you know send um you know representations of how many children like through the loaves of bread or something that um get out that you can help me get out and she thinks this is going to be a couple right and at the end of the day you know she goes and the martha at the house says we've got a delivery basically and she goes and looks at the kitchen table and it's filled with with bread products uh, like bread like you know tidings like muffins and bagels and 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 everything it's just filled and like if from a christian symbolism perspective bread is bread is life-giving yeah right you know like you look at the eucharist break bread with right um those are literally you know the divine come to life for for catholics or symbolic for any other type of um denomination but also like like john's point there breaking bread is a symbol of communal strength in christianity so that is also um the women breathing life into this plan and and showing like they are part of whatever is about to happen. And, you know, it's kind of like the, we're going to need a bigger boat scene. (laughs) Like it's not going to be 10 children. It's going to be like 50 something children, um, which is a big deal. So, so we're going to need a bigger boat. End scene. Yeah. That's the end of this episode, um, which is an interesting, again, you know how I feel about this whole thing becoming about saving children, but Whatever. I just want someone to think of the women. <laughs> but yeah, can we just focus on the women for once? Just for like a hot second. Like, why don't we just get the handmaids out? Like, there's no children to save if there's no handmaids to give birth to them. So, nice. Um, but uh, I thought this was a, an interesting end of the scene. I think um, this episode was great because it brought us back to the harshness of Gilead. It brought us back to fundamentally, this is a state sanctioned rape factory um which i think we had strayed from i think it was a little careless with like june was losing her mind and suddenly she's fine as if that's how that works that's not how that works um that's not how you heal trauma uh but let's just wait and see we have three more episodes of this season so we will recap episodes 11 and 12 and then do a final recap for 13 um i'm gonna refrain from like giving full-on like uh, you know, critique until I get to the end of this season. Yeah. But it was, it, it, 
there's a lot to discuss there is um the next episode i mean because for people that know when we're recording this it's already out um and how we do our recaps um this next episode's really um i i really like it's a game changer it is a game changer so sensical but it is a game changer it is a game changer in so many ways so definitely we're and the show has been renewed for a a fourth season it has it has yeah so we will be recording episodes 11 and 12 later this week and um and dropping you know these last two episodes really soon thank you for for listening and being so patient with us thanks for coming along on this ride like definitely um this was kind of just like a fun summer binge project for us it wasn't actually on our roster of things to cover but it's been a lot of fun um but like john said uh stay tuned because there's so much more stuff coming from us uh but we'll see you soon bye blessed be the fruit y'all